Remember that all of those pieces of furniture and instruments within the holy place and the holy of holies and even in the outer courts were all pictures of Jesus. And so the altar of incense being a picture of the prayers of people, it reminds us that Jesus has a great ministry of intercession. That's what the book of Hebrews teaches us, that he ever lives to make intercession. Now, stop and think about that for one second. Jesus right now is pleading on your behalf before the throne of God. How many of us have jaywalked at some point and thought nothing of it? There were no cars coming. Standing on the corner seemed pointless. We were smart enough to know it was safe. We can come up with all kinds of ways to justify a small transgression, but we still broke the rule. Today, Pastor Daniel teaches about why we find it hard to submit to authority and why we should consider how God chooses leaders to rule over us. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Aaron's Budding Staff. All right, let's open up in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 17. We're actually going to finish at the end of chapter 16, but we're... So if you find number 17, you're just going to have to go back a couple verses. So Numbers chapter 17, as we continue our study here, slow, semi-steady. You can't really call it a slow and steady study because sometimes we're, it's not so steady, but that's okay. We don't mind that. Going through the Old Testament, it's amazing. We've been at this for a a little bit more than uh, three years now, and we're in the fourth book. So, which means that if we keep going at this rate, I'm going to be about a hundred by the time we get done. And that's if I continue at the rate that we're going, which I heard that when you get a little older, you slow down. So we'll see what happens. I don't know that we can go much slower than the way that I'm going though. So, but it's amazing though, because, you know, I remember growing up and hearing about the Bible and hearing things like, man, that's just like in some ancient, you know, mythical book. And, you know, what can you really learn from that thing? It's so, you know, archaic and socially regressive and all these things. And, you know, I just kind of assumed that that's the way it was. And then I made the mistake of reading it one day. And uh, God met me on those pages. And I realized, man, for an old book, man, even though the details of a culture may change, the human condition doesn't change. And the God who created and sustains everything doesn't change. And so it's amazing how rich God's word can be and is. And I've been having a great time as we've been traveling through what we call the Pentateuch in the the Greek, the Torah in the Hebrew, those first five books. We're still only in the fourth book. So in number 16 and number 17, I made the case that The issue that we're looking at now is that the children of Israel are in rebellion against God, and it's playing itself out in rebellion against God's appointed leaders. So really what is the rebellion is against God, but the people are acting out against Moses and Aaron. Now, what's fascinating about this, and I talked about it last week, but because we're here in the same section again, I want to bring it up again, that 
it would be very convenient for me as the lead pastor of Crossroads to run out number 16 and 17 and say, everyone's got to listen to me and do everything that I say because I'm the pastor and you see what happened with Moses and Aaron when everyone rebelled against him. You know, and in a lot of ways, our culture kind of since Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche wrote that everything is a power play, we have what you would call a culture with a hermeneutic of suspicion. Now that word hermeneutic means an interpretive grid, that everything is grid through the idea of suspicion. And so you can imagine some authoritative leader, pastor running this stuff out and say, I'm God's appointed authority, and so everyone needs to just shut up and do everything I'm saying, right? And, and, and I use the word shut up. I know it's, it's a negative way of saying it, but that's in effect what they're saying, right? And they run something out like this, like, look at what happened. God appointed Moses and Aaron and Korah's rebellion. And now this other thing's going to go on. And this is why you have to listen to what I'm saying, right? And so I made the case last week that we learn true appointed leadership from Jesus. And Jesus's leadership is a servant leadership. Really, we like to say servant leadership because our culture loves leadership. I mean, there's a whole a genre of writing, the leadership books. Everybody writes a leadership book because everybody wants to learn how to be a good leader. But Jesus never wrote a leadership book. Jesus wrote a book about service. And Jesus said, be a servant. And so Jesus' understanding and Jesus' modeling of true biblical God-appointed leadership is a servanthood. It's a heart of service. And so what we find with Moses and Aaron is that they are seeking to serve God and serve the people. The people just want to be the ones who are in control. That's what it's really about. But the key for you and I, and I made the case that all of us find ourselves under authority in different ways. All of us do. And the key for us is to learn how to simply serve Jesus in our lives. So if you have a boss that you work under... Don't subvert their leadership. Just serve the Lord and let the company that you work for get the benefit. If you're married, there is mutual authority that goes both ways. I know biblically it says that husbands are the spiritual head of their homes, right? That's what the Bible says. And people freak out until you realize that husbands are supposed to die for their wives and wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. And so, okay, you choose. You want death or submission. Which one are you going to choose? Yeah. So male headship in the home is not like, okay, I'm just going to sit on the sofa and you feed me, you give me drink, you bathe me, and you sew my clothes. That's not biblical headship. You guys know this, right? Like I, I'm, I'm preaching to people who understand this, but that's not what it means. It means, husbands, you need to serve your wives and die for her because you love her the way Christ did the church. And it's really easy for a gal to submit to that kind of love and service, isn't it? And all the women are like, hey, Amen. All the husbands are like, Fusco. Dude, don't shoot the messenger. But they shot Jesus, right? Not really. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like he brought this message. And so for us, the key is we need to make sure that we are not living lives of rebellion that is playing itself out like what we're seeing in number 16 and 17, where we are being subversive against the God-given authority of somebody else. And most of us struggle with being submissive to authority because none of us like having authorities over us, do we? Right? Like nobody does. How many times you get pulled over because you're speeding and you're like mad at the police officer for pulling you over because you, but you were speeding, right? You guys don't ever speed because you're good Christians. 
Me, on the other hand, I get pulled over to the point where I'm like, I can't believe, you know, I, here's a great, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. I'm not getting anywhere tonight. A great story, though. I was driving back, Pastor Jason Richie and I were at a conference, classic. We're at a pastor's conference, and I'm sharing at this pastor's conference. I'm driving home, and I'm literally, I'm on I-5, coming south from Seattle. I'm literally in the right lane, and I'm going downhill, and I'm going 10 miles over the speed limit. In the right lane, going downhill, and I get pulled over. Right now, I was raised that as long if, if you're going with traffic and you're in the right lane, you're probably okay, right? And so I get pulled over. I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting pulled over. I mean, I'm in the right. I'm not even in the left lane. And so he pulls me over. He's like, "You're going 10 miles over the speed limit." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I'm in, but I'm in the right lane. And I'm going with traffic, and it is a downhill." I'm like, and he's like, "You know, you were going 10 miles over the speed limit, though, right?" And I'm like, "But." You know, isn't there like this sort of like rule that says if you're in the right lane, you know? And Jason Richie's just like looking at me like. So I, but I was upset at the police. I was just like, I wanted to go contest a ticket. Like I was going 10 miles over the speed limit. But then I realized, and I'm studying this. I'm like, yeah, see, I just don't like being submissive to authority. The sign says go 60. If you're going 70, you get a ticket. How many of you can feel compassion for Pastor Daniel. Amen. Amen. So you're all sinners just like me, right? So this is why we're studying this. This is why we're studying this. Now, in chapter 16 here, somebody else should probably teach the Bible at this point. You're like, look, you're all messed up, man. You can't even keep the speed limit. Any, anyway, anyway. But you guys know the velocity kicks up when you're going downhill. You're not trying to press the gas, but... Hey, listen, God ain't finished with me yet. You guys give me grace. God's working on me. So in chapter 16, we saw Korah's rebellion. Remember, a whole bunch of guys led by Korah and this guy Dathan and Abiram, they came and they said, no, no, the problem here is that Aaron is taking too much on himself. And they were all sons of Korah. They're his clansmen, but they wanted to be the high priest. And if you remember, they ended up getting eaten by the earth, like the first biblical sinkhole. They got swallowed up. The earth opened, all their stuff, all their family went in, right? But if you recall, we ended last week where the challenge, a lot like Elijah's challenge to the prophets of Baal was to, let's see whose God accepts their offering. And so they had these censers with incense in it. Now, there was a question last week they were interested in, in the role of incense and smoke as it relates to worshiping God. Now, you have to remember that in the the tabernacle, which we learned about in the end of Exodus and is part of the ceremonial life of the children of Israel, within the holy place, there was the altar of incense where the priest would offer a very special incense and it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. By the time you fast forward into the New Testament, and it's specifically in the book of Revelation, we learn that incense is a picture of the prayers of the saints. So when the incense would be offered in the holy place... It was a reminder of the fact that the people pray. And you guys know, if you were here when we studied the book of Exodus about 900 years ago, the way we're going, but, but you remember that all of those pieces of furniture and instruments within the holy place and the holy of holies and even in the outer courts were all pictures of Jesus. And so the altar of incense being a picture of the prayers of people, it reminds us that Jesus has a great ministry of intercession. 
That's what the book of Hebrews teaches us, that he ever lives to make intercession. Now, stop and think about that for one second. Jesus right now is pleading on your behalf before the throne of God. Right now, whatever your gig is, whatever your issues are, Jesus is there interceding for you, standing in the gap saying, Father, can you do this in their life? You know that this is going on. And that's an amazing ministry, isn't it? Jesus as the great high priest who lives to make intercession for you and I. And it says in the book of Revelation that God keeps before his throne golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so in a lot of ways, every time you choke out a prayer to God, God keeps it before his throne. What a beautiful thing. It's like those of you who have kids, right? When the kids give you something, you keep all of it, right? Because it's like they gave it to you, right? And like Maranatha is great because my daughter Maranatha, she's a gift giver. That's her love language. So like when she wants to bless you, she'll sit down and she'll make you like 50 cards. And like the first card says I and the next card says love and the third card says you and the fourth card says Abba, 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 Daddy, 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 dreadlock guy, pastor, you know? And it's like, and I keep all of them. I got like my whole closet's full of Maranatha gifts because they're sweet. And one day I'm gonna make fun of her about them all. But I'm going to, but I, and, oh, I can't wait for, no, I can't wait for the wedding day, actually. That's not going to happen until she's like 90. But you know, you know what I mean? You cherish those things because it's the affection of your children. That's our prayers to God. And so the idea of the smoke or the incense, it's a reminder that things need to rise up to God. Prayer needs to rise up to God. And so one of the priest's ministries were to take these censers. And so we ended last week with the fact that although the earth opened and all these people were swallowed up and for the 250 guys with the censers, they died, God asked Eliezer to go. Look at this in verse 36. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eliezer, this is number 16, verse 36. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer, the priest, took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. And it's, it's really fascinating that although these men who were in rebellion died, God wanted to reconstitute those Sensors and make them a memorial. And so it's an important thing for us. The Bible has a lot in it about the idea of making memorials. Things, uh, stones of remembrances, the communion table, baptism, these are memorials. We have to remember that God realizes that all of us have a really hard time remembering things. And so God wants to set up reminders for us. And in this case, every time they would think about the altar, see the altar, they would realize that these alt- this altar now has a covering from the hammered together of these censers 
that were handled by people who shouldn't have. See, God had ordained the priesthood. He had ordained Aaron, not these other guys. And the key, I think, for us is to remember that we have to be faithful in what God has given us. And we don't have to worry about being faithful in someone else's thing that God has given them. I think it's very easy, especially in a culture like ours, where everybody feels like they have the right to their opinion about everything. And if you don't believe me, just look at every comment section on any article that's posted on the internet. You know, everybody has a right to their opinion is that we spend a lot of time thinking how someone else is supposed to fill their ministry. And we spend very little time thinking about how we should fulfill ours. It's very easy to say, oh, well, that person's supposed to do this. And this person is like, well, what about you? What are you doing with the ministry God has given you? I had this recently. I was in a mood and someone was giving me a hard time about something. I'm like, well, I have been here at Crossroads for 20 years. I said, great. So what ministry do you serve in? <laughs> they looked at me. Excuse me? I'm like, yeah, so, you know, so I'm totally great to talk about what, what I'm doing and how I'm trying to do it, but so what do you do? Where do you serve? Oh, well, I don't serve. I'm like, you've been here for 20 years, you don't serve? Ouch is right, you know? I said, hey, man. I'm like, how about this? You worry about doing anything, and then we can talk about what I'm doing or not doing. It's a good reminder, though, because how easy is it to be like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that or that person's doing that. What, what, what am I doing? I'm sitting judging everybody else. God never called us to that. You know what I mean? And so it's a great reminder. You need to be faithful, and I need to be faithful with what God has given us. And we don't need to worry as much about what God has given somebody else. Now, as we move into verse 41, this gets really crazy because look at what happens. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting. Suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses, verse 43, and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. Verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it. And take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun amongst the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. Now, you would think that after what had just gone on with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, that the people would be like, okay, so listen, we need to get it together. But they immediately start complaining and they start blaming Moses and Aaron for killing all these people. Now, did Moses and Aaron have anything to do with it, really? No. But listen, oftentimes when people are grumpy, all logic goes out the window. All logic goes out the window. And so they are grumbling and complaining 
And disaster is upon them because, again, they're forgetting what's going on. They're really murmuring and complaining against God. And you notice that, again, and we've talked about this a lot in this section since at the end of the book of Exodus, that one of the most challenging parts of our Bible is the fact that God deals in violence. It's one of those things where you, you get confronted with it when you read. And it's not just in the Old Testament. I mean, the most, God is his most violent at the cross of Jesus. And if you read the book of Revelation, you see God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And so the almighty God still brokers in violence, but his violence has its root not in capricious anger, but in righteous indignation. Now, I realize that that's, I just like opened up a huge theological can of worms, but I need to say, hey, look, we have to deal with the fact that when God wants to bring righteous judgment, pain is inflicted on humanity. And that is part of the nature of God. And that is a part of nature of God that we don't like, but we probably should. Because it shows God's justice. We don't ever celebrate God's justice all that much. We celebrate God's love. We celebrate God's joy. We celebrate God's forgiveness, but we don't celebrate God's justice and his judgment. We don't celebrate God judging evil as evil with the same passion that we celebrate God's forgiveness and his grace. But God is infinitely glorious in the totality of who he is. And so we could say very quickly, I can't believe that God would be so uh, it's like he's just flying off the handle. But you got to realize they, they've been at this for a good long time. And we have to remember that the wages of sin is what? Death. Can you imagine if God killed you every time you complained? <laughs> Most of us wouldn't make it through potty training. You know? So praise God, although we are deserving of of that type of judgment for one complaint because the wage of one sin, it's worthy of death. All of us are under a death sentence given the nature of our hearts. So the fact that God doesn't do that is sheer grace in and of itself. It says in the Bible that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. So it makes you really realize that every moment is truly a gift. We're all on borrowed time because of God's patience with us. When was the last time you praised God for today that God hasn't rightfully wiped you off the face of the earth? But God's judgment would actually dictate that. Now, you know what I like about studying the book of Numbers as well, my friends? You would, we wouldn't talk about this in a lot. You go to a lot of churches, they'll never talk to you about this. They don't, like, let's pretend like this isn't in there. What I want to say is we need to learn how to worship and praise God because this is who he is. We need to learn how to take these things that are seemingly complicated and we don't really understand and say, God, show us your praiseworthiness in the totality of who you are. I don't want a pasteurized version of you based on what I think would be a good God. Jesus is The children of Israel offered gifts to the Lord with a purpose. It wasn't a haphazardly way of doing things. Our hearts are clearly for the Lord when we give Him our best. He gives us reminders to always be faithful, 
It's up to us to follow through and show him our love. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Every morning, most of us do the same thing. We get up and push the button on the most important appliance in our house, the coffee maker. A hot, steamy cup of coffee magically appears and we get our day started. This month, we want to be a part of that morning ritual. We always like to say thank you to those that choose to support Jesus is Real Radio. This month, for anyone who gives a donation of $25 or more to Jesus is Real Radio, but we will send you a Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug. Every morning when you fill up your Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug, you'll remember to pray for us and how important it is to support this ministry. We want to see God do amazing things through Jesus is Real Radio, and you can help. Visit JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option to receive your very own Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug. Again, that's all available at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how God appoints leaders. Amidst grumbling and complaining, God is fed up with His people. We'll take stock of our own tendency to complain and find out how to stop it. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Wilderness. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.